Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day here in the capital as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Chaloner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme this morning by Ross Kennedy. Ross is the founder and CEO of QHI Group, established in 1989. The firm is a global specialist in thermal monitoring of electrical infrastructure. Ross, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. It's a real pleasure having you. Now, the purpose of this discussion is to establish first and foremost your take on leadership. So if we just look at that word leader on its own for a second to begin with, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you and how it resonates overall. Um, I think there are three words which um, come to mind with the word leader. One is respect. Um, You have to have the respect of the people you're leading, but equally, you must respect them. And it's a two-way street, and it has to be earned on both sides. It's not a given. Secondly is motivation. I think a key part of the job is to motivate and enthuse all of the people in the business towards a common objective. And third is to give guidance where necessary so that people feel that they have the ability to come to you um, for guidance, that you can provide guidance to them, and it's given to them in a constructive rather than a destructive way. That's very important. So those are the three words, I think, which come to mind with, um, for me personally with the word leader. And if we think about your leadership style in the context of the business now, how would you describe that? Um, I would describe it as consensual. Um, Sometimes it can be very easy to sort of run a business that you own autocratically. Um, But that, I don't think, is the, the way that you earn the respect of others um, and get their buy-in to where you're going and the company ethos, etc. Um, the, the maxim which I run the business on is treat others as you would like to be treated. And frankly, if you obey that rule, you really can't go wrong. It's that mentality, isn't it, of essentially look after those who work for you and they will return the favour, isn't it? It's far easier if you do show that you're looking out for the interests of those around you to take people with you and get them to buy into that collective vision, as you say. And that's incredibly important, isn't it, in the context of the here and now with the COVID-19 situation and the fact that businesses are having to seriously adapt to the challenges brought about by the pandemic. Because those workers who've had to be furloughed and maybe get on with things behind the scenes or those that have had to adapt to remote working, even those as well that have had to continue working on site with um, new safety regulations in place, for those leaders who have been looking out for those around them, it will be their employees that are really going above and beyond during this period. And we've seen some fantastic examples of that in business during this time, haven't we? Absolutely. And I think, again, it comes back to respect and and trust. Um, yes, we have people working from home and there is a, a trust that they are actually working and playing their part in taking the business forward. Equally, we are 
um, working on a rotor system for a team A and a team B, working in the office um, and taking deliveries in and more importantly or equally importantly, getting um, goods out the door as well so we can continue to operate. We've been very fortunate that we are um, considered essential product in that we are um, a, a vital part within electrical um, infrastructure and electrical infrastructure itself is uh, designated as essential product. So we've managed to continue operating virtually uninterrupted, um, but again, largely due to the flexibility of um, the people in the business to adapt to new circumstances and um, to to work and sometimes, in fact, to, to do um, certain elements which weren't in their job description. But again, it, you come back to if the people in the business see the business as something that they belong to, that they're part of, um, then that becomes a much easier journey. Um, and I accept that that is perhaps an easier task in a, in a smaller business, a privately owned business, something, mm. than, than in larger organizations where inevitably that feeling of family, if you like, that feeling of belonging, um, it can be difficult. I would certainly um, agree with that. I think um, there are some fantastic examples of people who really brought the best out of themselves in uh, times of adversity such as this. From a leadership perspective, however, of course, people management has been incredibly important during this time because people react to different things in different ways, especially crises. And leaders have to adopt different approaches to match with different personalities. And some will not really have needed as much motivation to continue to work. Whereas for others, it might be the case that you have to provide that little bit of extra reassurance um, and keep the communication channels open just that little bit more closely. And um, for those sorts of people, they just need just that little bit more extra attention, don't they? Um, Have you sort of found that from your perspective that maybe you've had to have a few sort of discussions like that? Um, yes, I think it's important that, that there is you, you try to retain that feeling of belonging, that feeling of being mm. part of the business. Uh, it, it's essential. And one of the things that we do is that um, we have a weekly um, Microsoft Teams meeting where everyone in the business is on that call. And it's only a 15-minute call once a week. But the rule is we're not talking about the business. We're talking about the people. Did you have a great weekend? Um, Who's got a story to tell? Maybe someone's got a funny story or something. It's just keeping that glue, if you like, um, that brings people together. Um, We were fortunate that this year we won the, the Queen's Award for enterprise in uh, international trade. Mm. And people have said to me, well, how can a a small privately owned company have achieved that? And it's simple. Yes, we've got great products and we would, you know, extol the virtues of our own product. But equally, it's exceptional people. It's people that feel part of the business. And that, that to me, is the, the overall fundamental difference and many, many years ago, I had a mentor that, that taught me that the key difference between winning and losing is not that you've got better prices or, or um, more um, uh, educated people. or whatever. It's all about the one word, 
determination. And are you determined? And if you can instill that that feeling of determination in the people that work within the business, but it doesn't matter what obstacles, and there's always obstacles, there's always difficulties. But if you can instill that feeling of, it doesn't matter how many times you knock me down, I'm going to get back up again. It's that feeling of determination, I think, that separates organizations. And organizations are essentially made up of people. But determination is the key determining factor, if mm. you like. It all comes down to culture, that, doesn't it, to um, an extent. And um, while we're on this topic, Ross, um, I would like to discuss essentially what you view for the future of the office environment, because we realised during this pandemic, haven't we, that we've taken that human contact for granted. And that's so important in sort of keeping that very close knit family feel intact, even though a lot of businesses have adapted well to keeping communication going remotely through technological means such as Zoom, etc. But Overall, do you think that considering all of the talk of working practices changing that's going on during this time, that there is a future for the office environment in the world of work, both in within QHI Group and within the wider world as well? I think the basic answer is yes, but perhaps the balance will be different. I think whereas the norm was that you got up in the morning and you went to work and you went to the office and you spent all day there and then you came home, that will change. I think there could be um, more like rotor working, so that maybe you spend three days in the office this week and two days next week, and uh, so that there's, and you're alternating with different people, um, so that there is still an element that is required for people to be in the office, um, because nothing is quite as good as that human interaction, is, is that feeling of comradeship uh, and, and togetherness, etc., which you get when people are physically together. But I think there'll be a shift in the balance. I think, inevitably, there will be more uh, instances where there is a more flexible approach to the working environment and people working from home. Um, and And there'll be more virtual meetings. Um, We're seeing ourselves. I mean, 90% of our business is export. And already we're seeing that it's been unaffected. Um, We're holding virtual meetings with people rather than getting on planes and trains and cars, etc. We're holding virtual meetings. And from the, the customer's perspective, they're quite happy with that because it means that they can fit into more into their day. So, Whereas before, you could maybe, if you were a salesperson, you could go and see, you could go to a particular location, city, town, whatever, and see two or three people in a day. Well, now you can see, you can actually virtually meet with maybe 10 people in a day. So it's, mm. a, it's, it's incredibly more efficient. And with the renewed focus during this time on sustainability as well, it's really going to form an important part of the uh, the discussion going forward following the uh, the pandemic because it has inadvertently had a very positive effect on the uh, the environment as well. People cutting down on travel so drastically. Um, if we do think about the future now, Ross, just before we do wrap things up on the uh, the program this morning, um, I'd like to understand what you envision happening over the next year for both yourself and for QHI Group as a business, and what you hope to achieve overall as we move through the COVID nineteen pandemic and then begin to look to the longer term future under the new normal that everybody's talking about um again we're we're quite fortunate that in in um, having a um, condition monitoring 
system for electrical equipment. Um, the move towards monitoring and away from inspection is all part of the industrial internet of things or digitization or industry form, whatever you want to call it. And that move is seeing um, an exponential increase in demand for sensors which can create the data which will then be subsequently uh, subsequently analyzed by um, um, things like artificial intelligence and trending, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that is a global revolution which is occurring. So we're in a very, very good position. We're a market leader in our uh, niche area, and um, we are expecting and planning uh, for um, that exponential growth. Um, and from a personal perspective, that means that our business will grow. Um, we are uh, recruiting uh, new uh, senior management, which will assist us in getting to that um, place and uh, reaching our objectives. And if you like, my my goal is to try to retain the culture, which is sometimes difficult as you expand and bring in new senior management. But my goal is that we will um, secure our future um, whilst retaining our culture. Sounds like there's some big plans um, there, uh, Ross, uh, for sure, amid all of the uncertainty. And, you know, given how informative it's actually been having you on the programme with us to discuss all of this this morning, I actually think it would be great from a listener's perspective and most insightful to actually have you back on in around about um, a few months' time just to see what exactly has changed in the time between under the new normal and assess where the uh, the business is at at that point as well and catch up on that. No, I'd be um, delighted to um, come back and... Um hopefully tell you how we have continued our growth and um, are on the path towards achieving all our objectives. Yes, certainly. Let's hope there's going to be some more good news um, to uh, talk about at that point in time. Um, it's a shame we um, don't have more time on today's programme. Otherwise, we could discuss these plans long into the um, afternoon, I'm sure. Um, got to say, Ross, it's been a real pleasure having you join us um, this morning. So thank you ever so much for that. And most importantly, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on, because although things are starting to return to some form of normality, we're still not quite out of the woods with this one yet, for sure. No, and, and I think as a final comment, I'd say that one of the things that we've taken most seriously is the staff and uh, the health and well-being mm. of all of our staff. It's absolutely imperative, isn't it? And for those tuning into this, do continue to stay home where you can. Do look after yourselves and do stay safe because it really, really does make a difference in saving lives. Um, I was speaking there to Ross Kennedy, the founder and CEO of QHI Group. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished speaking with Sir Jeff. That is coming up next. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. 
Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex, first team, when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, of that calibre, can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is 
at the top is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alfred Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict but at the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against 
Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage of, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I look round, put my foot on the ball and look round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, 
Uh, well, you want me to tell you if you want. You've got time, I can tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was a football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well... Uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make again, me laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you were a young man when. See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. Is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but. There's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and 
the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We had some great players, we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word word is team. The word is is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. 
And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.